Welcome to the first episode in which Canada, your host, is a married man. This past weekend, I had the incredible pleasure of marrying my wife, Brenda, who is incredible. She planned the most amazing wedding, and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I, I, I am so happy uh, to be on this journey of life with her. All right. Now, during the wedding, you make vows, right? You, you, you say to the person across from you um, what you promise them moving forward in life. And I thought it only fitting in episode 287 of Canada's Pinball Podcast that I give you, the listener, some vows between me and you, all right? So those of you out there, I vow to never do a podcast that is two hours long ever again. If I have ever done one, I'm sorry, all right? I vow to never be a shill for any pinball company. I vow to never buy an Oktoberfest unless it's the month of October, all right? I vow, all right, I vow to never, ever, ever buy a Beatles Diamond Edition machine. And I ultimately vow to all of you out there that I will always be the one pinball podcast that tries to get to the truth of this entire hobby, right? Not just discussing gameplay and tournaments and manufacturers, but the truth of what it means to be a pinball hobbyist. And I have to say, whenever you sort of turn off Pinside for a week and you start to re-engage the real world, it puts everything in a really interesting perspective. We'll talk a little bit about that on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast. But of course, in just being gone a week, stuff happened in the pinball world that we have to cover. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the news. We're going to go over what's developed. And a lot has developed in just a week. I'm going to go over some of your feedback. And then I'm going to leave you with some final thoughts on the pinball hobby. How does that sound? All right, let's jump right into it. So the two biggest news stories were the Munsters leak and, of course, Deep Root Pinball not coming to TPF this year. Let me go in that order because I think it's, I want to talk more about Deep Root than I do about the Munsters leak. So by now, you either have been living under a rock or you've seen the Munsters pinball machine leak that happened last week. Um, and look, I think at this point, we're sort of used to just, it's a question of when will a pinball machine uh, that has either Franchi or Zombietti on it, it's a question of when will their stuff leak, not a question of if it will leak, all right? And so if you ask yourself, why don't the other Stern pinball games leak before they're ready, it's pretty clear where this stuff is coming from. They've got some very enthusiastic artists out there that have probably shared stuff. And I'm here to tell you, I did not leak any of these Munsters images that you just saw last week. And we didn't see it a ton, but we did, right? We saw the Playfield artwork. Uh, we did not see a fully populated Playfield. It is the Pro Machine. Uh, it is not the LE or premium that will have the lower play field. And I have to say, look, when, when you look at the game, uh, it's got, you know, sort of a somewhat similar layout to Monster Bash, people are saying. I have to say this, though. I have to say this. And this is just me speaking candidly. I, I'm no longer just blown away anymore. I, like, I don't know what it is. I, these games come out and... And especially Stern games. I, I think Stern has really built an empire on hype. And everyone is always like expecting so much in these games. But I, I'm at the point now where it's always sort of the same kind of art style. It's always the sort of, you know, a Stern's a Stern is a Stern. I, I always say that to people. And, and I'm not saying it like it's a terrible thing. I'm just saying I get the same sort of excitement when I see a new Stern pinball machine as I do when I see like the next version of a 911 Porsche, right? It's, it's just like, you know what it's going to be. You kind of know what it's going to look like. And there's never anything 
that completely blows you away. There's never anything that's completely unexpected or disruptive or really feels like it's pushing the envelope. It's It feels just more like a slight evolution of what came before. Nothing feels like a revolutionary new thing, right? And so that being said, uh, I'm curious to see when we actually get more of the monsters, but this is it. I mean, other than a lower playfield and and some bash toys and some stuff like that, I I, I think we now know what the monsters pinball is going to be, and uh, you know it's going to be hard for Stern to completely sort of reveal it now that this leak occurred. Um, but you know it's going to be what it is. I, I I mean I'm just again I'm just having a hard time with each new Stern machine. Uh, falling victim to the hype. And I feel good. Like, it feels really good to not feel like I have to have every new Stern machine regardless of what they show. And it, it, it's very liberating uh, to sort of adopt a mindset of it's interesting looking. You know, Franchi crushed it on the artwork. Uh, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the art package if there's a lower playfield because that seems like it's going to eat up most of where the characters are in the middle of the playfield. And I don't like stickers on ramps. I don't know if that's going to change. Uh, but, you know, I, I just I'm not seeing anything here that is just like, oh, my God, take my money now. And, and that's just, uh, you know, that's where I'm at with it. But again, I haven't seen so much of it. So we'll see. But I'm just saying a, a little bit of the magic will be gone when the reveal happens because we have seen this much of it so far. All right. But that's not the big news. You know, whether we see Munsters in a couple weeks or in January, I definitely think we're going to see this game before TPF. Uh, but the big news that happened was Deep Root Pinball announced that they will not be going to Texas Pinball Festival. I, I want to talk about this for a while because Deep Root Pinball has become a sort of mysterious player in the pinball hobby. And again, unless you've been living under a rock, you are fully aware of what Deep Root Pinball is trying to do. And we heard from Robert Mueller at Expo, very ambitious plans on what he wanted to do with the company, right? Everything from innovation, things you've never seen before in pinball, wants to manufacture more games in one year than all manufacturers combined. They've secured an 80s license, right? Maybe more than one. Uh, they've got all these uh, historic designers on board. They've got Steve Bowden. They've got animators. They've got storytellers. You know, they've got everything going um, except for one thing. They don't have a game. We haven't seen anything. You know, all we know is what we've been told, but we haven't seen anything. And I want to go into this development about them postponing their launch. And so uh, here's the statement from Deep Root. It goes like this. During a leadership meeting on December 3rd, it became clear that all necessary deliverables would not be ready in time for our reveal at Texas Pinball Festival. Rather than rush with little tested innovations, fail to deliver what was promised, or lower the level of expectation we have for ourselves, we decided to postpone the reveal. While we are not going to reveal at TPF, we chose to support the TPF experience by keeping our sizable monetary investment intact. We thank Ed and team for rolling out the red carpet for us. We are grateful for their support, and we would urge everyone to attend what will be another amazing pinball experience next March. All right. What I want to do is go through each of, of these statements from Deep Root. So right there, Deep Root pulling out of TPF is a bummer. I mean, there, there's no way around it. I, I've been saying this is going to be the best TPF ever because of all the things that were going to happen at the show. And I think most of us were really looking forward to seeing what Deep Root was all about. Right, all the hyperbole, all the adjectives, all the expectations, the five days of deep root, right, coming at TPF 2019. I mean, there were ads for it at TPF 2018. There were ads for it at Expo, and now nothing. All right, so what does that mean? We'll, we'll talk about it as we go deeper into why they're not going to be there. 
So let's go on to more from Deep Root here. They go on to interview Robert Mueller. All right. So this week in pinball, uh, they asked for the reason for the delay. And Robert said, we aren't worried about spin or marketing anything positive or negative. It is very simple. I owe it to my staff that the blood, sweat, and tears, in parentheses, innovations, we have expended will be showcased and delivered to the public in the best possible way. That includes extra stress and cycle testing of new innovations using additional time making sure launch titles are code and AV complete increasing the durability of the playfield and improving playfield assembly process efficiencies. Lastly, I've promised future customers that we will ship in two weeks of a sale being made. We will simply not reveal anything before being able to keep the promise by promptly shipping games after a reveal. All right, so let's stop there because we, we've said it before. There, there's just no way two weeks is going to work. On, on everyone's going to get their game in two weeks after reveal. All right, cause, but what that means is that you're going to have to have a lot of games in boxes, in a warehouse, ready to go into a truck on the day you reveal. All right? That's, that's really difficult to do for a few reasons, right? So one is, um, how are they selling these games, right? Are they selling them through distributors? Are they selling them directly to customers? How do they know how many of these games to build in order to get all those people their games in two weeks? So let's say they showcase Back to the Future. How many orders are they going to get for that one game, right? And everyone's going to get their game within two weeks. So it, it's stuff like this that, I again... I don't think it's necessary to make a promise like that. I don't even think anyone who buys pinball machines expects to get them that quickly. Uh, if I were to give Robert some advice on this one, it's I think anyone who buys a pinball machine in 2019 really just expects to get it within two months of buying it, right? They don't need it in two weeks. There, there's, there's no rush. In fact, as we see with some other manufacturers, I think people want to wait till some of the kinks get figured out before they even get their game. Uh, so there's no real desire to have a game uh, that quickly out the door, right? It's just that simple. Um, the durability of the playfield. Uh, wasn't this the playfield that you could take a sledgehammer to? So have they been sledgehammering the playfield and they're not holding up to what they, they expect? I don't know. All right, so then the interview goes on to say this. In your goodwill terms, this is the question, you had a deadline of June 30th, 2019 for Zidware customers to get their DeepRoot games. Will DeepRoot meet that deadline? And Robert said, our legal commitments to the small percentage of Zidware customers that both filed and perfected a claim will remain unchanged. And then This Week in Pinball says, does that mean that Zidware customers may get a deep root pinball machine before your official launch? And Robert said, it is possible, but hard to predict exactly what will happen in six months' time. All right. There's a little bit more I'll go into, but I want to stop there. So look, th this is another deadline. This is another deadline that deep root uh, has to hit legally. And this is so weird to me too, because again, the only reason they have to meet this June 30th deadline to make the Zidware customers whole is because DeepRoot set the deadline. Nobody else did. They did. And, you know, they didn't have to work with John Papaduke. They didn't have to take him on board. You know, they're the ones who need to fulfill this date. Now, let's count on our hand the amount of time between now and then. Like, it's pretty much beginning of December. December, January, February, March, April, May, June, all right? So they've got what? Around seven, end of June. So they got like seven full months to figure this out. Um, so that's a long time, right? I mean, here we were fully expecting to be blown away by Deep Root, uh, you know, in, in like three months. And now all of a sudden it's seven months is really the earliest that they have to really, you know, give some someone something, all right? And then he, they go on to say, you know, what, this is the question, what are the biggest hurdles you have to get past before launch? 
Robert said, staffing, it has been very difficult getting qualified candidates in Texas and Utah that will fill our, fit our pipeline. This question's interesting. Do you still plan to launch in 2019? He says, we will launch when we are ready. I certainly hope it's in 2019. Um, is there any concern that deep root, uh, that the launch may never happen? Robert said, zero concern. He, this is interesting. We are spending over 750000 a month on this project, and that will increase through launch. Uh, that is unsustainable without a launch in the short term. All right. So here's the thing. I, I, I don't think any of these other questions really matter. Because I think though, that's the main takeaway from this whole interview is that they're not coming to TPF. They're spending $750,000 a month. And that, you know, they're going to get your Zidware games to, or Zidware customers their games by June 30th. And they're hopeful that 2019 is the year. Now, I want to give you my opinion about this whole thing. And, 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 and I, mean, I mean this when I say this. Is I am I'm kind of just sick and tired of these games. Like, what's the point of all of this? I, I think the only thing Deep Root needs to do is make one or two good games a year to really break into the pinball industry. Now, they might be further ahead on a lot more titles, and that's great. That's great, but those should be 2020 titles. Uh, there's no need for them to try and do so much at once, and now they're not even going to deliver anything at TPF. So then the question becomes when, and now the new date seems to be June 30th. And, you know, look, I think Robert understands that it doesn't really matter if they reveal at a show or not. And again, I think there's a lot of emphasis that you have to like go to a show to get in front of the pinball collector and be at TPF or be at Expo or be at Pinburg or, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Almost everyone who really buys these pinball machines and collects them, uh, you know, most of those people have access to the internet. The challenge for Robert is going to be a combination of two things. He needs to get his games out at some point, right? He also needs to market these games in a way that gets people excited and gets people on board to buy them. And ultimately, he's going to have to figure out a distributor model in which people can go and play these games uh, because most likely people are not going to buy something uh, with only seeing a video of it, uh, you know, unless he's got themes like Back to the Future and whatnot. Do I think that he's spending $750,000 a month on Deep Root Pinball? Absolutely not. I, I think that number's made up. I think it makes them look good. You know, it makes it look like there's so much money going into it at this stage, but that's that's a bullshit number, right? It's bullshit. There, there's there's no way they're spending that much this early on uh, to to get this stuff off the ground. I think it's a very impressive number. It it, it makes people even more curious. It it makes people feel like there's a lot going on, and that the end product is gonna justify everything that went into it. But I think the number's really kind of silly. I wouldn't believe it. I, I just wouldn't believe that at all. All right. And my final takeaway is I think Robert is playing a game. I think he's playing a game with with me, with podcast, with with this week in pinball. I do. I think he's playing a game, and I think he wants. To, I think this is this is my metaphor for for what I think he's doing. I think Robert's like the kid who's got the answers to the test. And he tells all of his friends that he's, you know, he's not going to study. And then all of his friends think, you know, that person's going to fail. And then they do great. I, I think, I think that's where he's at. I think Robert knows that he's got a lot of fun stuff in the factory. I think he knows he's got a lot of innovations coming that are going to blow people away. I think he's, you know, going to run into manufacturing hurdles, though I do. I think he's going to run into distribution hurdles and vendor and parts hurdles. Uh, but I think he is probably further along than he wants you to think, maybe. I don't know. And then it's going to be like, boom, out of nowhere, like Deep Root just arrives like an alien invasion and takes over the pinball world, right? And it didn't make sense to come to TPF for him because that's just what's expected. 
So if you look at a company that's trying to disrupt and be like, unlike every other company, then I think he's trying to play and or figure out how to play the game that way. But, but I also don't know if that's the smartest way to market in pinball. I don't think pinball needs a lot of that sort of like trying too hard to be clever. I think you really just need to make a great pinball machine and make it available and people will buy it. I, I don't think it requires a lot of this like overly strategizing or overhyping or overpromising. And I, and I think that's where he's going to get himself into trouble, right? Just one game. And if I had some advice, just come to TPF with something innovative. Just show us the goddamn ball levitator that uh, you did for Magic Girl and, and, and just at least satiate some, some of people's curiosity around your company, right? All right. But again, he now see now it's like I don't really know what to do in terms of deep root coverage between now and June. We might not hear anything. We might hear something, but now we're just probably going to put them into like the pending column of we'll just have to wait and see, which is kind of where they've always been. All right, all right. Well, you know a company you don't have to wait and see, and that's Stern Pinball, and they're starting to ship. Beatles Diamond Editions. I just saw it, an image of Sunshine Laundromat in Brooklyn has a Diamond Edition Beatles pinball. Here's what's fucking crazy. Peter over there, the owner of Sunshine, he's going to put the Diamond Edition probably out to play at Sunshine. And you know what he also doesn't do? He doesn't like Mylar the play field. He doesn't put a shooter lane protector on there. So he's ostensibly going to put a pinball machine that's selling or, you know, asking for $25,000 on the show floor. Now, here's what I love about living in New York City is now I will not have to spend a single dollar buying a Beatles pinball machine. I can take a a $2.75 subway ride and go play Beatles all night long, see if I like it or not, and then go home. And, and, And that's probably what I will do in the next week or so. Well, there's nothing about the Diamond Edition experience that will be different than the Gold Edition experience, but the games are shipping. So we have to give Stern kudos for getting the games out. All right, I'm glad to see they're in boxes. Speaking of games, like where are they? Where is Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle? Like, where is it? Is it, is it like, this has gotta be one of the longest delays ever for a spooky game. Now, what's helping Chuck out is that Stern doesn't have Monsters available yet. Um, Monster Bash Remake is shipping and getting to people, but I don't think the LEs have shipped yet. But I'll say this, there is not going to be people wanting to wait a year plus to get their game. And I I, I, I don't know. I, I literally don't know um, what the holdup is. And maybe it's still just finishing up TNA that's the holdup. But I also think... You know, when we talk about showing a game and shipping it in, in a short window, I think we can all pretty much say that, that Chuck kind of fumbled this one uh, in the sense of he showed it over eight months ago and people still don't have their games. And I think that's just like, you know, it's a mistake. It's a mistake that a lot of people are making in pinball for some reason. Um, speaking of shipping late, Pirates of the Caribbean is finally arriving for customers. Finally, it is getting into homes. Um, and, you know, I'm following the thread. I go in it like every other day and I see images of broken wires and switches not working. And so, I, you know, like I don't know if this game has more issues than than other games when they're new in box. But I, I do feel like the Pirates of the Caribbean Owners Club looks more like a troubleshooting club. And I, I don't know. I, I, I hope they iron out all the issues. That, that's, that's, that's the thing. You, people just should not have to like solder anything. All right. If there's one thing I hate having to do on any game, it's, it's pull out the soldering iron to, to, to get a wire working again or reattach it. All right. Because I'll tell you this. Most collectors, and this is the truth, they don't know how to solder. They don't want to solder their games that are brand new. Uh, and I think a lot of people are probably just watching this one on the sideline, like hoping they get some of these issues ironed out. 
It's a little bit frustrating. You know, you wish they would have had it figured out by now, but they haven't, all right? They haven't. Now, the question now becomes, with Deeproot leaving TPF, will they be able to get a marquee title revealed at the show? Will it be something from Jersey Jack Pinball? Uh, I don't know. I can't imagine it will be. I think Jack has to sell more Pirates of the Caribbeans before he shows his next title because if it's Wonka or Toy Story, Pirates of the Caribbean sales will just plummet immediately. That's Jack's problem. You know, it's Jack's problem. It's not like Stern where the game just remains on the line for years and there's, you know, really the, the only pins that Stern really needs to sell out immediately of are the LEs and Stern does a really good job of selling the majority, if not all, of their LEs uh, right away. And then they don't have to worry about the premium and the pros because they can make them for years. And they have an assembly line in which those games can remain uh, in production for years to buy, right? We're still seeing games from years ago. Metallica, Star Trek, still for sale, still for sale. Today, brand new games made off the line a few weeks ago. All right, incredible, right? All right, what else is going on in the pinball world before I get to some of your user feedback? Um, the the team pinball, team pinball, have announced that they're only going to make twenty editions of the Mafia pinball machine. Twenty, right? Going to be one of the rarest games of all time, and yet there are roughly nine billion people on planet Earth, and there aren't there are not even 20 people who want that machine out of the 9 billion so uh, i think it's time that these guys just sort of pack the bags close the boxes it's over all right it's over i mean yeah i don't you know i i, I can't imagine they're going to get a return on their investment uh, but they should have done their market research before they made this game all right, it's just it's just a game that nobody really wants, and and nothing could could be more uh, indicative of that that you can't even sell twenty of something. Like if you make a pinball company and you reveal your game to the world and you can't sell twenty, it's over. It's completely over. All right, all right, Oktoberfest. All right, so we 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 saw that there was some like new back glass that had like two characters covering up the monkey. Uh, that was just sort of like a prototype back glass. They they haven't fixed the artwork yet. Um, they're still selling this game while they're making changes. What do you think about that? I mean, I talked about that a little bit, but I personally, I do have a problem with that of actually making like changes to the artwork, changes possibly to some of the design of the game uh, without um, letting the customer know what those final changes will be. They are taking your money on it. Now look, I, I know you're saying to me like, Chris, don't be a hypocrite because Stern sells people a game and there's absolutely no code in it and they're still putting new stuff into the game after you buy it, but that's different than like swapping the artwork or you know making some gameplay changes that people haven't seen yet. I think for Oktoberfest it's very much like Houdini. It's it, it's it's down to the point of like you have to play one, you have to decide for yourself if you want one. There there are not a limited number of Oktoberfest being made, so there absolutely is no rush to buy one. Uh, if you ask me, I think that is a marketing mistake for these guys. If if I could give Davo or Normal any advice, it would be this. If I were them, I would say we are only going to make 500 of our titles ever. All right? I think these guys need to create some sort of demand and urgency to buy these titles because without that, I just can't see these games being very successful and I was even seeing them tease the fact that they might hint at what game number three is and I'm just going to say this bluntly I just don't think American Pinball is going to survive very long if the only thing we get from this company consists of Joe Balser on design Scott Kugler or sorry Josh Kugler 
on you know animations and code and whatever artists they're using who who put this monstrosity together I, I just don't see this company like it's like why is it just this little funky bunch is the only thing we're ever going to get from American Pinball and I think they've shown us that they can make a solid game like they can actually manufacture a game that's screwed together well but what this company lacks right now is a creative direction they they lack a creative visionary and I, I just think it looks homebrew I think they've got the they've they're almost there, but the pieces that are are falling behind are really important pieces to get right. And we said it before. I think they need to hire someone who does animations. And this is not, you know, this is not me, you know, blasting Josh Kugler. Kugler's the coder. He should not be responsible for animations. He shouldn't be. And I think he's doing the animations. And that's why I think they're so piss poor. And I don't know whoever was the person who directed the artist, but they need to get a creative director because that game looks terrible with three different kinds of art slapped together in, in that format. It just looks like shit. I'm just going to say it. it looks like shit. All right. And there's no reason why it should. So fix those things. Fix, fix it. Right. Announce you've got new teammates. Don't don't hint game three. Is there going to be a game three if Oktoberfest is a total flop? How can there be? How can there be? Like I said, these guys need to go get the Big Lebowski tomorrow. All right. All right. What else is going on in pinball? Um, you know, that's kind of it. There hasn't been too much new news. There was a Beatles for sale on Facebook for thirty thousand dollars. And I wrote in the post, and I'm not one to price police, but when you ask $30,000 for the Beatles Diamond Edition, right, then, then, you know, I think I should troll a post like that. And I basically said in the comments section, for $30,000, John Lennon should do the callouts for this game. And for $30,000, if you buy it, John Lennon will demagnetize your balls and not the ones that go into the pinball machine. All right? Insanity, people. Insanity. It's just a fucking cheap plaque. All right, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read some of your emails that I received. I'm also going to play someone sent me in an audio file. I love the audio feedback that people send me. Uh, in my, you know, canadapinball at gmail.com. I think I might have to set up a 1-800 number where people can call in and leave voicemails for me and I can air those. But let me play you something that someone sent me. Now, I haven't listened to this. Let's see if it's not too long and I'm going to give my opinion of it after the fact. Canada, I was playing the end of your most recent pod for the family just because I was, I was touched. I, I got a little emotional by it where you were expressing your love for the hobby and to every one of your listeners and even the ones that hate you, you were sending out love. And my son, upon you wrapping it up, just simply said, Pinball Jesus. And I think that kind of sums it up for all of us in the hobby. You have become our, our pinball Jesus. Thank you for that. And God bless. Well, God bless us all if Canada is the pinball podcast of the pinball world. Um, but look, Nelson, thank you for sending that note. And I, I don't consider myself any sort of deity in this hobby. I, I think what I just try to do is I try to just remind people, you know, that you got to find some truth in this hobby. Don't, don't place too much emphasis on this hobby in your lives. And yes, you should show love and respect to other people in the hobby. That's just the way it should be. All right. All right. I got another. I got two more um, listeners who sent me audio files. So let's air another one. You've been releasing podcasts so fast, I can't keep up with them and leave any comments. By the time I record something, get ready to send it in, you're on to the next podcast, and I'm enthralled, and then I forget what I was going to say. So I'm going to try to do a quick uh, little recap here of the last couple podcast episodes, uh, just some thoughts that I had on them. Uh, first of all, you and Blake doing uh, the awards was pretty nice. Nice, uh, You guys have a great banter back and forth. He's uh, sounds like a great guy, has a nice voice for this kind of medium. I liked how you guys dissected things, pulled Supreme out of some of the categories, 
they really need to tighten them down and actually just nominate people or at least have nominees, if you will, that actually makes sense rather than just putting in every pinball machine released every year. But it was fun listening to you guys. You guys made some great points, skewered some people. Uh, let me tell you, when I was listening to the uh, podcast, I believe the gentleman's name was Nick, uh, who was talking about the pinball machines that he was making and trying to contract with Stern. As soon as he started breaking down the price, my ears perked up a little bit, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the following podcast, when you were like, oh, I, I broke out this. We talked for two hours, and I broke out this 12-second uh, segment, and here it is. I'm going to talk about it for a while. I was like, oh, man, Nick's going to get a call from somebody about this. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's good and it's bad. I mean, you can definitely see how celebrities get misquoted and stuff or, or have stuff pulled out. I mean, the dude talks to you for two hours. It's like this 10-second blurb is what gets all the attention. Uh, and he was almost thinking out loud, kind of explaining the mechanisms and probably didn't realize what he was saying until uh, he heard the podcast. And then you ripped it out, and I, I knew that was going to get pulled back. But good on you for pulling it down at his request. I mean, a uh, tough situation all around. Uh, the newest one, uh, breaking down the costs and everything, fantastic. I mean, you go into a dollar shop, uh, you know, those things cost 14 cents. Uh, they sell them for a dollar. Uh, I mean, the markup's huge. Pinball machines, though, I mean, it's kind of a novelty thing, but Stern has to balance that. They really have to, they have to make a profit, but they got to feel like they're giving, the customer has to feel like he's getting value. And that's a tough thing to judge, especially when they're doing the contract work, because again, it's still Stern. Uh, and the names are on it, and the layouts are Stearns, and, you know, the mechanisms are Stearns. So even though it's contract, it's still representative of the company. Uh, I mean, if they contracted out with some horrible thing, machine, with a horrible eight-year-old graphics, and it didn't work right, then nobody cares if they contracted out through, uh, you know, some National Lampoon, this was a gag thing, or uh, what's it, Cards Against Humanity, if they contracted out 10 pinball machines that absolutely played like shit and refused to work, at the end of the day, it's still going to be Stern uh, taking the heat for that. So even though it is contract work, you know, there is Stern involved, and they are the face of the manufacturer. Um, But having said that, I mean, I love the absolute comment uh, when you're uh, viewers wrote in with the pin side circle jerk. Uh, love it. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the circle jerks, uh, the band, punk band back in the uh, early 80s. I would love to see a nice custom pinball uh, t-shirt with the circle jerks logo, but the guy's uh, kind of has a pinball machine. Uh, he's playing it at the time because you'd feel that way sometimes going on to forums. But that's how it is on every forum. You know, the fans, comic books, uh, movies, they're all insane. They get passionate about it. But I love how you're breaking it down. I love how, uh, like you said, you're not here for pinball tips. You're not talking about how to help score you know, 10 billion points on Ghostbusters on the plunge. You're talking about the collectability, the business aspect, and that's what keeps you fresh and uh, unique. So keep it up, bud. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew, for writing in. No, not writing in, for sending me an audio file of, of your feedback on our last few shows. And so, look, it was fun going back and forth with Blake. Uh, you know, talking about the twerpies, the worst in pinball. Uh, like a lot of you out there who heard the interview with Nick Parks, I think we were all a little shocked, but not totally shocked uh, by learning what these sort of wholesale prices for Stern games. And and look, I've said it before. You know, Stern Pro, a Stern Pro is the only good value you get. And, and I think everyone agrees with this. You buy a Stern Pro, you get your money's worth. You buy a premium or an LE, you're starting to get fleeced. You buy an LE, you really are getting ripped off. You just are. And they don't want you to feel this way. They don't want you to like, you know, have that emotion. They don't want you to deconstruct what you're getting for your $9,000. But if you really do want to deconstruct, is the value there? It's not. And that's their dirty little secret is they create this tiny little window of LE hype, and if you simply avoid it, you'll be much happier in the hobby, right? You will be, trust me, all right? All right, but you know, we respect Nick Parks as a person and as a businessman, and so we yanked it down, and that's all right. All right, this podcast has not gone soft. I mean, even the last things I said in the last half hour, are they soft? Um, but Matthew, thank you again for listening to the show. Um, I'm, I'm glad you appreciate it. And I have another audio uh, feedback from another listener. Let me air that for you now. Hey, Chris, it's Dave, longtime listener of your show. I wanted to call in uh, with two points. The first is I bought a Batman 66 LE as a result of your show. Like, that's just a fact. Uh, I was on the fence. I was thinking about it for a while. I've been listening to your show 
for quite some time and I bought one. And so you directly influenced me to buy a Stern machine. Like that is a true statement. So your point about <clears throat> manufacturers um, downplaying the influence of the media, I do agree that that is a foolish move on their part. Um, and I do think the media of which you're a part uh, have an impact on buying. Uh, that's just a fact. So I agree with you on that. Second, um, my day job is a CEO of a mid-sized company, um, like over 30 million in revenue. Um, and as I look at Jersey Jack, and I'm a huge fan of Jersey Jack. I, I own a Waz. I like it. Um, I am deeply concerned about their viability as a business. Um, and I'll tell you why. It's related to labor, but it's, it's slightly different than what people have been talking about recently. Um, I don't think it's a problem that Jack uses contract labor. Um, in fact, I think the opposite is true. I think as a responsible CEO, um, Jack has a business where his labor needs will fluctuate, right? If he has a hit game, he's going to need more machines built than if he has a flop, right? And so if you're a CEO of that type of company, the responsible thing for you to do is to say, what is my bare minimum of full-time employees that I need um, to run the business? And that is what I'm gonna staff for. And then I'm going to bring in contract labor um, for when I need it. Right, And so if there's like a high degree of demand and a machine is really successful, I'm going to bring in a bunch of contract labor or if things have cooled off or I'm in between games, uh, I'm going to ramp that labor down. And that is actually what he should be doing. Like we want Jack to be doing that as a CEO because it means that the company can be viable and stick around and make more games. Right. And so I think that is what he's doing. I, I don't know, but I believe that that is what he's doing. Um, and I think it's absolutely the right thing and the responsible thing for him to be doing as a CEO. Like that is not a bad thing, but here's the trick. Um, I bet he's having a hard time with that contract labor. Um, you know, if you looked at LinkedIn, like you can actually see the full-time hires at Jersey Jack. Um, and there's not a lot of labor folks on LinkedIn. And so my hunch, and, and I'm totally making this up. I don't know anything. I'm, this is pure speculation. But my hunch is that Jack said, all right, I'm going to staff for the bare minimum I need. I'm going to ramp up and down with contract labor. But I bet where he went wrong is that He's probably having a very hard time finding that labor. It's probably costing him more money and taking more time to ramp up and train that labor. And I bet once he's even got them ramped up and trained, I bet it's very difficult to keep them. Um, I mean, think about it. He's in the state of New Jersey, one of the most expensive places to live in the nation. And he's kind of in a weird town in New Jersey, which is sort of, you know, near the seashore. Um, and so very expensive state, very tight labor market, very high labor rates. And he's trying to find contract labor, skilled contract labor. It's not like it's a receptionist, right? Like he needs skilled contract labor to kind of come and go when demand rises and falls. Like that's going to be a hard thing to staff for. Then he's got all that time to train people up per machine, right? Uh, on how to assemble these things correctly. And then he's got to hope that he can keep those folks around at whatever he's paying them, like 15 bucks an hour, 18 bucks, you know, 12 bucks an hour, whatever he's paying them. He's got to hope he's can retain those people and they're not going to find a better, easier uh, paying job than building a labor intensive pinball machine. So my hunch, and again, I'm totally making this up. 
my hunch is that Jack's plan was staff for the bare minimum, contract labor to sort of go up and down with demand. And the problem he's probably having is he can't staff that assembly work. Um, and to even kind of put a finer point on this, uh, I actually drove over to, I was in the neighborhood, I drove over to the Jersey Jack facility on a Wednesday at like 10 in the morning. And I drove around the building and there were not many cars in that parking lot. And I went into the lobby and I knocked on the door and no one came. Um, and I couldn't really hear much noise coming out of uh, you know, the workshop. And so my hunch is that labor is Jack's greatest risk as a business. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out with Toy Story because you're right. That, I bet, is a make-or-break title for Jack. And he's got everything lined up to be a success. From the theme, presumably it's a Pat Lawler game. Um, he's got plenty of time to kind of hit the window for when the movie comes out. Um, but if he's building pirate LEs when Toy Story 4 hits the movie theaters and that hype machine is rolling, he will have failed. And, you know, if there's any advice I'd give Jack as a, C a fellow CEO is I would be in serious talks with American Pinball and Chicago Gaming right now to see if they'd be willing to do some contract assembly on Toy Story so he nails that window. And I'm sure it'll like ruin his profit margin and you know he'll barely break even or maybe even lose a couple of bucks in that scenario. Um, so it's not, it's far from ideal. But there's a far greater risk of him missing the Toy Story window than if he sort of takes a hit on profit for when that movie comes out. So you watch, like Toy Story is gonna be the point where if those machines are ready, then he's got a shot at, you know, getting a Wonka. But if he misses that window, I honestly think like he will have underestimated his labor risks um, and ultimately will not have a viable long-term business. So just a hunch. I hope that's not the case. I really want a Wonka. But anyway, um, great show. Thanks for letting me ramble. Congrats on the wedding. See you later. Wow. I mean, that was probably the most articulate and insightful feedback I've ever received in, in, in the history of the show. And I've been doing the show for 280 episodes. Um, so Dave, thank you for sharing that um, with not just me, with, but with the listeners. Because I think everyone who just listened to all that um, from, a, from a CEO of a company um, learned a lot, learned a lot about what could be the, the big risk happening over at Jersey Jack Pinball. And I, I never really thought about it on, on all those different levels. And it's interesting because, you know, as I was listening, um, Dave, to you articulate his challenges, we're also seeing the same sort of problems already creeping to the door of Deep Root of how do I get people who are highly skilled staffers to, con to you know, to, how do I hire them to help me make my games, right? And, and I think that has been Jack's problem is, is, is he misses the windows of when people like really should be getting the games that are based upon properties that are hot right now, that people want right now. Um, the Hobbit miss, I think we're gonna see him miss Toy Story when, with the summer release of the new movie. Um, and I think it does come down to labor. Like, and it's not just, you know, the movie launch, right? Right, David? It's like, he, he just can't keep a constant cadence of new titles coming out. Like, why was Pirates of the Caribbean shown in October of 2017, and here we are in December of 2018, and it's still barely trickling out? It was almost like a nine to 10 month delay on even getting the game on the line. Something's wrong, something's wrong. And I think, Dave, you're a lot like everyone else. We wanna see Jack figure this out. And I think it's a really interesting scenario for him to actually hit up, um, whether it's American Pinball or Chicago Gaming Company, 
and actually get some help uh, when it comes to contract manufacturing. And, 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 you know, because it's clear that Jersey Jack can't figure that part out. It's always been his Achilles heel. And I, I you know, I, I fully expect it to continue to be his Achilles heel as we move forward. Um, Dave, I hope you continue to to send in your insights on stuff we talk about on this show because I do. I, I think it was incredible, and I think we all learned a lot just listening to it. So I really appreciate that. All right, anything else? You know what? I'm just going to end the show there because I think we all should end this show uh, with, with, with a little bit of learning. All right? I want to thank all of you who sent me messages congratulating me on my wedding. I appreciate it. And I want to end this episode with just going down a list, thanking all 17 of you who are Patreon donators to Canada's Pinball Podcast, right? I get about 15 to 1,700 people who listen to this podcast, and 17 of you actually are supporting me on Patreon. Um, And I want to thank all of you, all right? And I'm going to go down the list real quick. Adam Driver, thank you. Cody Miller, thank you. Courtney, thank you. Deanna, thank you. Uh, Demon Sucks, thank you. Hector, thank you. Ivo Balzer, thank you. Justice Allison, thank you. Um, KM, thank you. Lawrence JL, thank you. Lou, thank you. Matt Retray, thank you. Um, Michael Jones, thank you. Um, Rodney, thank you. Scott Drager, thank you. Tony Tran, thank you. And there was one other pinball. What's this? Pinball in Vancouver. Thank you. All right. Thank all of you. If you want to donate to this show, if you want to give me a little wedding gift, how about just a dollar a month to Canada's Pinball Podcast? Is that too much to ask? Anyway, all of you out there, I just want to thank you for listening. We're back. I'm not sure the cadence. I'm going to Ireland next week for another wedding, but I will do my best to air for you an entertaining pinball podcast um, as much as possible. And, and I hope that when the time comes to vote for the Twippy 2018 Best Pinball Podcast, that your vote begins and ends with Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that won't be three hours long, that won't just do it once a week, that won't buy Oktoberfest in any month other than October. Everyone, have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah,